The Old Testament lesson for this Sunday is from Psalm 27. We're going to be reading this psalm responsively, as you can see. And also note, this is the text upon which my sermon is based this day. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the hill of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the sixth chapter. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from that Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than it is for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. O grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is actually verse 4 from Psalm 27, where we read, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is our text. If we were to take a survey and ask the question, what do you want out of life? How do you suppose most Americans might respond? More importantly, how might you respond? What is it that you want to get out of life? What we often want is not what we need. When our wants or our desires become our needs, we can easily become idolaters. As we talked about last week, 
that is, people who prioritize our wants and desires over fidelity to God. This is a common pattern that we see throughout the Bible. I mean, for example, Samson Delilah. Samson was willing to marry a pagan even though God had strictly forbidden such marriages. And consequently, Samson welcomed false gods into his life, into his home, which eventually led to his betrayal and death. The Israelites, they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world, so to speak. All the other nations were governed by a king, and they wanted a king too. And so God, well, he gave them a king. And they soon discovered that with kingship comes conspiracy and political corruption and crippling taxation. David, well, he desired or lusted after Bathsheba. And for his lust, he was led into adultery, deception, and murder. He brought a cancerous-like corruption into his home that led to interfamily conflict and eventually the demise of his kingdom. Judas Iscariot, he yearned for political independence from the Roman government, for which he was even willing to betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to appear generous while deceptively withholding some of their property from the Lord so that they might maintain their financial security. And as a result, they were both struck dead by the wrath of God. In all of these situations, God's people allowed their wants, their desires, to betray their fidelity to God, and God subsequently gave them over to the, heart, to the desires of their heart resulting in horrific and sometimes eternally damaging consequences, not only for themselves, but also for many others as well. Now, do you suppose that our desires and our wants can supplant God from the throne of our heart? Can we not become single-mindedly focused on, other, on our wants, even to the neglect of nurturing a healthy relationship with God? And what might be a need or a want that you have that may be elbowing God out of your life? Well, here's another reality. Sometimes our wants and our desires, though God-pleasing, may not fit into God's master plan. And thereby, he may deny or delay in granting the desire of our heart. I mean, can you think of any examples from the Bible where this was the case? Where someone really desired and wanted something that was good, but yet the Lord either said no, or he delayed in giving it to them. One of the first things that come to my mind, the first stories is, of course, Abraham and Sarah, who longed to have a son, who longed to have a child, and God had even promised them that they would have a child but they had to wait for years, didn't they, before that promise was fulfilled, with Abraham being 100 years of age and Sarah being 90. Israel wanted to be liberated from Egypt. They wanted to get, be free of slavery, and who can blame them? But they waited 430 years for God to set them free. The prophet Elijah, well, he wanted to die because he was worn out 
from a difficult and fruitless ministry. But God said, no, it's not time for you to die yet. I've got more work for you to do. Paul, well, he wanted to be released from his thorn in the flesh, didn't he? And three times he begged for the Lord to take it away. And each time God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Even Jesus prayed. He prayed to his father that he would be spared the torturous death that awaited him on a cross. But his father's will was that Jesus die on Calvary so that God's plan of rescuing man might be fulfilled. Is there something that maybe you have been praying for that God is denying you at this time or delaying? Do you find yourself maybe growing impatient with him? If so, then ask yourself, what might God be doing by denying you your request or by delaying your request, your prayer? Might be God teaching you to rely less on yourself and more on him? Might God be redirecting you back to him? Might God be teaching you the lesson that St. Paul learned through the hardships of his life? He writes, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Again, I'll ask you, what do you want out of life? Well, what we need in life is what God wants for us. A couple years ago, I came upon a poem written by Donald Hinckley entitled, What the World Needs Now. Hinckley writes in that poem, What the world needs now, snapped the general in gold braid and spit-shine shoes, is a heat-detecting neutron bomb to ensure safety from, from here to kingdom come, which may come tomorrow, and thus his will was done. What this world needs now, said the real estate man in his three-piece suit and smile, is miles of condos and asphalt driveways, centers for shopping and four-lane highways, and thus it came to pass. What the world needs now, smiled the youngish, hairy-harried kid, is a pill to pop the downer down, to blur the fear of being me, of being close, of being free. And thus, on high it came to be. And what the world needs now, sang God one day, to angels and seraphim and cherubim, is a baby, helpless, weak, and chilled, in a barn where animals are filled, to grow and to go and then be killed, and thus a manger came to pass, and thus a cross was raised at last. And a vacant tomb tells the tale of how only God knows what this world needs now. Yes, what this world needs now is what this world has always needed. A Savior who was born in Bethlehem, crucified on Calvary, and resurrected from the dead. According to Psalm 27, there is one needful thing in our life, and it relates to what I just said. It's not better health. It's not more wealth. It's not more power or might. It's not a more efficient government. It's not any of those things. It's not even our unanswered prayers being answered. No, to set our hearts on such things ultimately results in fear. Fear of losing control of our life. 
Fear of becoming sick and dying and having no controlling over that dying process. A fear that our 401k is maybe insufficient for getting us to the end of our life. There's the fear of war. There's the fear of another pandemic. There's the fear that our nation is imploding and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to stop its demise. There's just fear. And the psalmist, well, he talks about fear, doesn't he? I think that's why Psalm 27 is so beloved by so many of God's people. The Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist begins. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why can he have such confidence? Well, he goes on to say, there is one thing, there's one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will gaze, that I will seek after him, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I ask of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. To dwell in the house of the Lord means that we daily rely, or that we daily live in the reality of our baptismal grace, through which our Heavenly Father received us into His home, in which grace and God's forgiveness reign. And that is God being the light of my salvation. To dwell in the house of the Lord means that it is our habit to gather with other believers in Christ around his word, to humble ourselves in confession and receive God's peace of absolution as we hear that our sins are forgiven. It's time, it's us coming together to celebrate the Eucharistic meal of forgiveness. This is God being not only our light, but also our salvation. To dwell in the house of the Lord means to quietly, in prayer, to meditatively read and reflect on God's word day by day by day. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And why? Why would I want to gaze upon, why would I want to spend all of my days in the house of the Lord. So I might be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Maybe it's just me and my personality. But have you ever noticed that when you gaze upon something beautiful, that it reminds you of something that isn't beautiful? I mean, like a work of art, for instance. You go into the art museum and you see this beautiful piece of art. And I don't know about you, but when I look at that beautiful piece of art, my mind tends to go towards those stickman drawings that I'm well known for. Or like you're sitting out in, by Lake Michigan and you're watching a stunning sunset. And your mind goes to all of those days where the sunsets were spoiled because of the clouds. Or you see a finely toned athlete or a model and you remember back to those days when maybe you kind of looked like that athlete or model, right? Yes, 
as we gaze upon the beauty of God, it can often make us realize that we're not so beautiful. I think that's what happens with the psalmist here as he's kind of envisioning, gazing upon the beauty of God because he goes on in our text to say, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not away. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will always take me in. Yes, as this psalmist gazes upon the beauty of the Lord, he recognizes his own sin. And what does he do? He confesses his sin, doesn't he? Hide not your face from me. And as we spend time in the temple of the Lord, day by day, so to speak, God redirects the sinner's eyes to the beauty of the Lord. He redirects our eyes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, doesn't he? And as he directs our eyes to Christ, what do we see? We see the love of God, the love that God has for every single person. We see the love that God has for the whole world, so much so that he sent his one and only son into this world. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And as we gaze upon our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we see? As we gaze upon his beauty, we see compassion. Compassion for the proud, compassion for the self-righteous, compassion for the destitute, compassion for the downtrodden, compassion for us. And as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, what do we see? We see Christ's sacrifice. There was nothing beautiful about that, was there? Our Savior was tortured for us. He was rejected by His Heavenly Father for us. We see injustice or injustice. We see brutality. And yet, what do we see? We see that in the midst of Jesus' sacrifice, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see his forgiving heart, don't we? A forgiving heart that was not only for those who crucified him, but also a forgiving heart for us, for our sins. One hymn writer puts it this way, I hear the words of love, I gaze upon the blood, I see the mighty sacrifice, and I have peace with God. Yes, as we enter into the courts of the Lord and we spend our time in the, in the house of the Lord, we get to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, the Lord reminds, he, reminds us, he assures us, that we're his beloved, that our sins are forgiven, that as our Heavenly Father, he'll never turn us away, but that instead he'll always receive us into his fold. You see, as we dwell in the house of the Lord, we're assured that God's face shines upon us. I mean, we hear that on many a Sunday, don't we? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you be gracious unto you. 
As we come into the house of the Lord, what do we hear? We're assured that God is at peace with us through Christ. You heard it just this morning where I, as your called pastor, announced to you, your sins are forgiven, and they are. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And we're assured as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of God. As we hear in verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 27, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord to be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Yes, our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ assures us that not even death itself separates us from him but that we will gaze upon the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to me and to all who believe in Jesus as their Savior. And so we spend time in the house of the Lord day by day, whether it's here at home or our car or wherever it might be, and we spend time seeking His will, we spend time reading His word, we spend time praying, we spend time confessing and our sins and reminding ourselves of God's forgiveness. Yes, we spend time reading His word, and as we do so, we find rest for our soul. In Psalm 65, we read, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone, for my salvation and my honor depend on him. Indeed, as we dwell in the house of the Lord, we know that because of the Lord's great love for us, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Indeed, as we dwell in the house of the Lord, we trust the Lord will guide us, and he will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen our frame, and we will be like well-watered gardens like a spring whose waters never fail. Indeed, as we dwell in the house of the Lord, we trust that he will hide us in the shelter, in his shelter, in the day of trouble, and he will conceal us under the cover of his tent, and he will lift us up high on a rock. What do you want out of life? No doubt there are many things that you want out of life, and some of them are, quite frankly, very genuine needs. And may God grant you your prayer. But many of the things that we want or desire, well, they're not so legitimate. And I pray that God won't give you those things or let you have those things. But you see, there is one overriding need that we all have, all of us have, we all need the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And along with that, we all need his promised heavenly treasure that he promises us to, to us in his word. And hence the reason why we, like the psalmist, desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. And yes, for all eternity too. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.